America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A beautiful young mom seemingly disappears off the face of the earth. Then a twist in the case. Why has Allison's case gone cold? In fact, I don't think it has gone cold. I think that authorities are simply not willing to act. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. You know, recently we heard a lot about the Bill Cosby case, how the original prosecutor was basically afraid to take the case to trial, afraid of a David and Goliath scenario where he was David and Cosby was Goliath. Well, let's go to the end of that story. David won the battle. David actually slew Goliath. My question is, why are district attorneys elected to do the right thing, always win or lose, afraid to take on a case they might, maybe, lose, instead of always and always seeking justice? Well, let's find out. First of all, take a listen to this. Before moving to Wilmington, North Carolina, Allison Jackson Foy enjoyed working with children. She was a dance teacher at her father's New York dance studio. She was also a gymnastics coach. She married Michael Foy and the family, Allison, Michael, and their two daughters, moved to Wilmington. Foy gets a job at a local hotel and earns a promotion to assistant manager. Wow. A dance teacher, married, great job, moving up within that to assistant general manager. That's not easy. You were just hearing our friends at CrimeOnline.com. So how does Allison Jackson Foy suddenly go missing? Listen to our friend Hannah Patrick, WWAY3. Allison was working the day she went missing. She had left work here and was going to celebrate with a friend of hers. And so they went to what was, it's not anymore, uh, Junction Pub. At the time, Junction Pub was right here on Carolina Beach Road. It is now known as Mad Cats. She had a couple glasses of wine. Her friend at the time said to her, you know, you shouldn't drive home. And she said, oh, no, and he said, no, you shouldn't drive home. Let me call you a cab. Then Valentino says the bartender called one for her. Somebody walked in the bar and said, did someone call a cab? And they said, yeah, we did. And she walked out with the cab driver, and that was the last uh, that she was ever seen. Walk out to get a cab, and she's never seen alive again. You know, we just recently covered the case of a young woman heading to law school who was out celebrating the end of undergrad with her friends, goes out to get in her Uber, and she's never seen alive again. In her case, there was a resolution. 
In Allison's case, not so much. Again, I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. I want to introduce to you an all-star panel joining me to make sense of it all. Bob Buner, the former Montour County District Attorney and past president of the Pennsylvania District Attorneys Association. And that is not an easy thing to achieve. Dr. Jory Crosen, psychologist, faculty, St. Leo University, consultant, author of Operation SOS. Dr. Tim Gallagher, medical examiner for the entire state of Florida. And you can find him at pathcaremed.com. Com, lecturer, University of Florida Medical School, Forensic Medicine, and founder and host of the International Forensic Medicine Death Investigation Conference. Cheryl McCollum, founder and director of the Cold Case Research Institute, forensics expert. You can find her at coldcasecrimes.org. Ben Shopman, news director, WHQR News, the NPR affiliate in Wilmington, North Carolina, former editor, Port City Daily, and you can find him on Twitter at Ben underscore Shotman. But first, listen to our friends at ID. A 34-year-old mother of two vanishes after a night out. A detective called me and says, just want to let you know that uh, your daughter's missing. Detectives aren't convinced she's in danger. All signs led to the likelihood that she had left the area on her own accord. You were hearing... Allison's dad speaking, but right now, joining me is Allison's sister. This is Lisa Valentino, who, over time, I I feel, has become a friend. She has never given up on finding the truth of what happened to her sister. Lisa is now with QCUE, Center for Missing Persons, at ncmissingpersons.org. Lisa, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. You know, Lisa, I know it gets exhausting to rehash the story of your sister's disappearance. And I know that feeling. To this day, I hate it when people bring up to me my fiance's murder just before our wedding. And that was a long, long time ago. Now, if I bring it up, that I guess that means I'm mentally and emotionally prepared to talk about it. But when someone just asks me about it out of the blue, it's like somebody throws cold water on my face. And also, after you talk about it, it just leaves me feeling weary, weary and drained. And I imagine it's the same thing for you. So I especially want to thank you for being with us. And I want to take you back. Tell me, how did you learn Allison was missing? Um, so... My family and I, with my other brother and a sister and our children, we were on a vacation to the White Mountains in New Hampshire, which we had done every year. And uh, we were kind of out of touch with my dad for that period of time, for whatever reason, because I guess he didn't want to bother us on vacation. I had talked to my sister, Allison, the day before we went on vacation because it was my daughter, Emily's birthday. And on our way back from New Hampshire, we get a phone call from my father saying that there was a message on at the time his answering machine from uh, Wilmington PD stating that Allison had been missing. And so that's the first we heard of it. And immediately uh, we, the three of us, my brother and sister and I made plans to drop off our family and get on a plane that night and head to Wilmington. And that's what we did. 
met my dad there, and the four of us arrived there together. You know, to um, Dr. Jory Crosin, psychologist, faculty, St. Leo University, and author, Dr. Jory, when people are confronted with news like this, your sister's missing. I'm projecting, I know, but when I was told something horrible had happened to Keith, it didn't seem real. I really didn't, I couldn't take it in. And as the minutes passed, I convinced myself he wasn't dead, that he had just been hurt and that it must have been a car crash. And if I could just get to him, I could fix it. I could find out what was going on. I, I, I could sort the whole thing out. Why is that, Dr. Jory? Because we hear one thing, but we process something completely different. Here she is on a vacation with her family, and she finds out her sister, her beloved sister, is missing. You know, it's all part of trying to balance the trauma, the unknown, uh, the tremendous amount of stress that, you know, now the reality isn't setting in yet because you're still trying to process it. You're trying to figure out, what if? Where you know? Where's the answers? How how's this going to get resolved? Uh, anytime we're faced with ambiguity, you know that we can't resolve it. It creates the anxiety and the stress. And unfortunately, that's you know trauma is a wound, and that's a psychological wound that. Uh, sometimes never heals. I think uh, to you, Cheryl McCollum, director of the Cold Case Research Institute, you and I have dealt with a lot of cases and a lot of crime victims. And I think it's so out of the ordinary and it's so bizarre for people to learn their husband, their sister, they're just missing. It. It's, I don't think people are emotionally, I don't think we're actually wired, hardwired to take in that kind of, of news. No, I agree. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, your mind protects you from that. So you slowly come to the realization of what is actually happening. So I think it's actually kind of a gift that you can't accept things so traumatic instantly. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Straight back out to Lisa Valentino. This is Allison's sister who has kept her case alive. Do you remember what it was like? I'm projecting again, but I remember I had just gotten the twins to New York to go ice skating. And we had gotten there. I got them unpacked, bathed in the bed. And I got a call from my mom that my, they were putting my dad on life support. And I remember frantically trying to get them dressed, and it was midnight, and I was out on the street in New York with the children, and I was trying to hail a cab to get to any airport to try to get home. Do you remember what it was like trying to get, get to Wilmington? I, I, I do, and I also remember the moment that my father told me that she was missing, that I had this sinking feeling that she was no longer alive. Uh, I don't know why I felt that, but I felt that from almost the beginning. 
although I pushed that to the side and uh, again went went through and went on this trip and I, I just I, I think it's like you say I, I almost I, I just I couldn't believe actually what I was hearing and how does this happen to, to, to us type of thing and then you know that feeling of helplessness and not even knowing what to do but somehow we just have to go there and be there and try to figure it all out. You know, Bob Buner is joining me, former Montour County District Attorney, former president of the Pennsylvania District Attorneys Association. Bob Buner, you know, it is so difficult dealing with crime victims' families, especially when they're blindsided with news like this. When you know a loved one is having is living a very risky lifestyle, like they're doing drugs, which means they're buying drugs from a dope dealer, or they have a life of crime where they're in danger all the time, or they do something perilous for work. It's the the pain is no less, but they've got to have an inkling that danger is lurking. When you've got a mom, a, a healthy young mom, who is not living a risky lifestyle, is moving up in her business. I mean, it's even more of a shock. It's very hard dealing with crime victims, families, victims like this. It sure is, Nancy. And, and so you have that period of what if that you have to go through with crime victims. You know there's a disappearance, but there's that great unknown out there as to what really happened. And the only thing... Exactly. The only thing... The not knowing. Yes. And the only thing you can do is to promise as a prosecutor, an elected district attorney, is to do everything in your power to bring closure and finality to the victim's family. Joining me right now is a news director, WHQR, the NPR affiliate there in Wilmington, Ben, tell me about this place where she goes missing. She was out celebrating. Then what happened? I mean, that's the most important question, Nancy. The 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 Junction Pub was. Uh, I actually used to go there back in the day. Um, you know, it was kind of a dive. Uh, a cab driver, uh, Timothy Craig Iannone, picked her up, and that's the last we're, we hear from her. So, how did Allison? get reported missing. Listen. They said to us, we received the phone call from uh, her husband that she hasn't come home um, and that, uh, you know, he doesn't know where where she is. And um, the last place we know she was seen was at a, a place called Junction Pub and Billiards after she finished uh, a shift at work. Allison had just gotten a new job. She was assistant manager of a Holiday Inn here in town. And she supposedly had gone out to um, celebrate after work with a friend of hers. Um, they found her car at the establishment, uh, I, I think, a couple of days later. Lisa, we are hearing from you what exactly happened that we know of to your sister, Allison. But am I understanding her husband is the one that reported her missing? That's correct. Her husband is the one who reported her missing. Did he call around to find out? Like, but wait, wait, wait. Did you live near her at the time? So, n no. Uh, I lived in New Jersey. Right. And my dad and the rest of my family were in New York or Delaware, and she was in Wilmington. So there was no need to call around and go, hey, is she over there? Have you seen her? Have you heard? Okay, because at first I thought that was a little suspicious, but now I understand. He directly called 911. Straight back out to Lisa Valentino. This is Allison's sister. 
How did police respond uh, to your inquiries at the beginning when Alice went missing? Well, I, I have to say that it was not great. They took us to uh, the police department. They, they sat us down in a room and they basically told us that they thought she had walked away, that she had done this of her own accord and of her own will. And my father and I immediately said, well, that's not Allison. If she was going to do this, A, she would have taken her children with her, and B, she would have called me or my father or someone and said, look, this is my plan. I'm leaving. I'm going off the grid for a bit. And, you know, just leave me alone for a little while. But she would have been in touch. You know, I want to go to you, Cheryl McCollum, founder and director of the Cold Case Research Institute. Why, why, for Pete's sake, when women go missing, Still to this day, law enforcement goes, oh, she's just out with her boyfriend. You know, one of the last times I heard that was when Stacy Peterson went missing. Remember her? Yep. A lot of people have forgotten her. Yep. I haven't. That was Drew Peterson's fourth wife. Uh, one, the mm, second or third wife, Kathleen Savio, ends up dead, drowned in a bone-dry bathtub covered in bruises. And then Stacy goes missing. And to this day... If asked, Drew Peterson will say, oh, she's out with her boyfriend. What boyfriend? She's going to leave her children to go be with a boyfriend nobody's ever heard of? So why? It literally drives me mad. Um, again, if you look at the victim and you do the victimology first, which they should do in any investigation, what they would find in this case and in most cases, women do not leave their children behind because they're in a marriage they don't want to be in any longer. Everybody listening to this show right now knows 20 women that have gotten a divorce. Not one of them took a powder and left their kids somewhere. Not one. So if you look at what happened here with Allison, she had a loving family. She had children that she adored. She didn't take any money. She didn't take her cell phone. She didn't take her car. She didn't take any clothes. She didn't have a lover. So you're, you're not looking at the totality of this person. You're just saying, oh, she was at a bar. Oh, well, she must have just walked away. To go where? It's not plausible. Didn't happen. Straight out to Ben Shotman joining us on WHQR. Ben, then the case takes quite a twist. Tell me about the remains that were discovered. Yeah, that was in April of 2008. Uh, Allison's remains were found along with those of Angela Nobles Rothen um, near on, on Carolina Beach Road. Um, both had, you know, uh, fatal knife wounds. You know, I want to follow up on that to Dr. Tim Gallagher, the medical examiner for the entire state of Florida. You can find him at pathcaremed.com. Dr. Gallagher, with that amount of time passing, how could they still determine death was by knife wound? Well, if you look at the remains, and most of the time at, for that amount of time passing, it would be the skeletal remains. You can find uh, the butcher marks that the knife makes on the bones themselves. And uh, you can determine if that was happening while they were alive, while they were uh, deceased. And uh, you can use those marks, those butcher marks on the bones to determine what the uh, manner of death and the cause of death would be. So stabbings, stabbing would leave, uh, the, we call them kerf marks 
uh, from the knife on the bone, and that would give us our cause of death. Like a nick? Right. It would be a nick or a slice or a, a, a bladed mark that the knife leaves on the bone. And if it's, a say, a rib bone or a spine or even a skull, you know that that could not have happened uh, after their death. Uh, from, like, say, animal predation or uh, injuries that occurred after their death. So you, specifically, Dr. Gallagher, can look at a bone. And her, she went missing July 30, 2006. Her body was found almost two years later, April 2008. You could look at a bone and determine whether a nick in the bone was caused by a bullet, by a knife, or by animal predation you can look at it and tell that how oh absolutely there's an entire field dedicated to that forensic anthropology and that forensic anthropologist uh has the the technical skill and the training to determine that if you see an a, a mark on the bone that is not natural mm-hmm. that is uh very very angular and there is no healing there is no healing uh process going on then you know that that had occurred uh, at around the, the called the perimortem period, or about the time that they died, um, if there is uh, teeth marks, if there is gnawing, if there is uh, other um, damage to the bone caused by animals, uh, we could even determine what animal it was by the prints that it left on the bone, by the uh, evidence that it's left on the bone. So, um, if a forensic anthropologist or a medical examiner determined that they have knife wounds on the bone, I would uh, be strongly in favor of that um, manner of death and cause of death. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. To Bob Buner joining me, former Montour County District Attorney. You know, Bob, it would take me hours with a medical examiner like Dr. Tim Gallagher to break down what he just said in a way that not only I could understand it, but a jury could understand it. And I, I always try to make it like stories that are understandable to both me and the jury. For instance, if a bullet were to crack through a bone or a, let's just say the side of your car, it cracks around it. It's not just just the entry. It destroys a certain amount around it, the bullet entry. If a an animal, uh, I remember seeing a bag of, uh, I guess it was potato chips, that were sealed and left somewhere, but a, a little mouse had been gnawing on them, and you could see, actually see the little gnaw marks on the bag okay so you compare those two and with a knife you see a slant you may actually see a slant or you see where the point of the knife hit the bone so all three of those will look completely differently so you have to break it down like that or make it explainable to a jury Look, you and I just have JDs. Gallagher has got an MD. So somehow you got to decipher all that for a jury. And, and Nancy, the way to do it is through uh, photographs and a sort of a chronological explanation uh, of the autopsy uh, and, and going back and forth between a, a, 
person like Dr. Gallagher who can easily relate to a jury and the photographs that are projected to the jury in the courtroom. Yeah, a slideshow. You know, slideshows are always the way to go. You're absolutely right. You know, to Ben Shopman joining us, WHQR, tell me about the circumstances surrounding the discovery of Allison's remains. Was she buried? Was I know it was near a road, but was a wooded area? Was she just thrown along the side of the freeway, as I've seen in many cases, which suggests she was thrown out of a car? You said she was there with another set of remains. Are the two connected? They have to be. Tell me. Uh, early on, there was actually some discussion that this could have been the work of a serial killer. Um, just because of some of the similarities, it was set off back off the road. Um, so there was some real concern there. And I think that sort of coincided when police started taking this case a bit, at least a bit more seriously. What do you mean started taking the case a bit more seriously? Well, as, as Lisa told you, you know, early on, uh, an officer had uh, told her that they expected to find Allison with needles in her arms. You know, they thought that this was, um, you know, drug related or, you know, they didn't. They weren't treating this like a homicide, certainly. Um, but this. Boy, wait, wait, stop just a second, Ben. Why would they say that about Allison? Callousness. Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, it seemed to have been a pet theory of some of the uh, officers who were working the case early on. Lisa, did she have any history of that? I mean, not to my knowledge. She was. She was the breadwinner in the family. She was taking care of her kids. I, I, I don't get it, Lisa. Why would they say, oh, she's just slung up with another man, or she's probably a doper? She was none of that. I mean, again, there were issues. There were problems in her marriage. But, again, I had just seen her two weeks prior to this. She certainly wasn't using while she was staying in my home. So, I mean, that was, you know, that was the whole thing the whole time, trying to get them to believe they had this idea of who she was. And I was trying to say to her, yes, yes, she went through hard times. Yes, there was some struggle. But, you know, again, I never saw her using anything. You know, Cheryl, why is this? Why is that when a woman goes missing, she's immediately trashed, dragged through the mud? She's either sleeping around or, oh, she suddenly has become a drug user and she's out scoring drugs. Why? Why does a woman's reputation have to be totally destroyed why don't they just get off their rear ends and go look for her and again if they would do the investigation all you had to do is talk to a few people she worked with her husband and her family and you would know this is not what we're dealing with not at all so just do an investigation forget what you think about this person that you've never met forget the conclusion that you're drawing based on God forbid a woman goes and has a drink at a bar without her husband and suddenly you've, you've got her in this whole scenario of negativity that is not factually accurate. To Ben Shotman, let me ask a couple of rapid fire questions. Was her body buried? I don't believe so. Was it in a wooded area? It was near a wooded area along, uh, along that Carolina Beach Road area. Was it near the side of the road? That I don't remember exactly how far it was from the road. Let me go to Lisa Valentino. Was it, Lisa? No, it was. it's back behind an abandoned restaurant. It was a cut-through that people use. What? It, it was a cut-through. A lot of people, so it was back behind an abandoned restaurant off of Carolina Beach Road. It was fairly wooded. But on the other side, there was a cell tower and all this other stuff, and people would cut through. And, in fact, that's how she was fined. It was a passerby or cutting through the woods to get to work who saw the bones and the remains. So she was not buried? No, she was left 
left, her clothes were still there. Her jewelry was still there. All of that was still there when she was recovered. Wow. And how far away was the other murder victim? Oh, maybe maybe a foot or two. The, the interesting thing about the other murder victim is she went missing a year after Allison did. Wow. Okay. Let's digest that, Cheryl McCollum. What does that mean? I think it means you've got a serial killer, and this is clearly his dumping ground. You've got two bodies that were in feet of each other. One passerby found the bones, so you've got bones that are visible to anybody that would be in that area. Both the bodies were also, Nancy, in a little ravine. So they weren't hidden and they weren't buried, but if you were to scan in the landscape, you wouldn't have seen them, but they were not hidden. What more do we know about the discovery of Allison's remains? Take a listen to our Cut 16. This is Hannah Patrick, WWAY3. In April 2008, Valentino says remains were found about a mile and a half away from where she went missing. The particular place where she was found um, it was like a, a cut through and it was also uh, I think a known place where like guys took prostitutes So someone was passing by and they saw two sets of remains while waiting to get DNA results Valentino made a trip to Wilmington. I felt like I needed to see the place where She last was and so when we went to the site more sets of remains were, were found and You found more. Yes, me my friend and Monica when we went to visit the site more, and those remains ended up being Allison's. So in finding Allison's remains, the remains of another woman, Angela Nobles, is found. But that's not all. Take a listen to our Cut 8 from News 14. The family of a woman whose remains were found in Wilmington two years ago returned to that area to follow up with investigators. Allison Jackson Foy's father and sister talked with the district attorney and police about the case Thursday. Her remains were found in a wooded area off of Carolina Beach Road alongside the remains of another woman, Angela Rothen, in 2008. So far, no arrests have been made. Now family members are concerned that just last month, the remains of another woman, Priscilla Rogers, were found a few miles away from the other crime scene. Anytime they find a body, and I always follow everything very closely in the Wilmington uh, news, it's always like, oh my gosh, could this be connected? Especially when it's in close proximity to where my sister um, and Angela were found. Valentino says authorities assured her that they're exploring all leads and they're not ruling out any possibilities. The family recently started the Allison Jackson Foy Memorial Fund. All donations go to the Q Center for Missing Persons, which is based in Wilmington. So now I've got three dead bodies in the space of just a few miles. All three of them, the victims, very, very similar. stories with Nancy Grace. To Bob Buner, former Montour County District Attorney, what's going on and why hasn't there been a prosecution? It's because of the um, incredible reluctance of the New Hanover County District Attorney, Mr. David, to either convene a grand jury or to instruct the police, the Wilmington Police Department, to file charges. Okay, uh, let me understand something. Um, Bob Buehner, it's my understanding the last time we know Allison was seen alive was when she got in the cab. We even have a description of a guy coming in saying, hey, did anybody call a cab? She goes, me, and she left with this guy. We've even got a description. Has he been cleared? 
No, he has not been cleared. As a matter of fact, in, I think, 2007, Nancy, he was with another prostitute within 100 yards of where Allison's body and Miss Rothen's body were found. And the woman alleged that he tried to rape her in that area. And he has had other criminal charges and convictions in his background since then. So there's an amazing set of coincidences that really, I think, cry out for a grand jury. Let's talk about the coincidences. To Lisa Valentino, this is Allison's sister joining us today. What are the coincidences? Because a lot of people would call those coincidences evidence of guilt. What are the so-called coincidences regarding this cab driver? Well, um, yeah, I guess. So we have always believed that Allison was kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time and that this person of interest who, you know, Timothy Iannone, uh, you know, thought she was someone or something that she wasn't. As far as I know, uh, Angela Rothen had had some issues and um, I guess what's known about him is he used to pick up people for, for sex. And so for years they tried to connect Allison to to those two women and they were ne- never okay, able to. H- hold on just a minute. Let me understand something that you just said, Lisa Valentino, Allison's sister. So the cab driver that we know picked up your sister the last night she was seen alive has a history of being with hookers and was found with a hooker about 100 yards from where your sister's body was found, and that hooker says he tried to rape her? Yes, in fact, they, they, she, she was duct taped in his cab. She managed to get free, and police came and arrested him. But at the time, this, this woman, um, her, it's, her name is Sonia Williams, she didn't show up for the court date because of issues she had privately and personally going on in her life. And so he pleaded to a lesser crime, crimes against nature, and he was released. Okay. When you said crimes against nature, could you be more specific? I guess that's what they call it, right? I'm not, I don't. I don't know. That's the, that that's the North Carolina statute for oral sex. Oral sex? Yes. That's a crime against nature? In North Carolina. Who's speaking? Is that Ben or Bob? That's Ben, sorry. Okay. She's duct tape and says he tried to rape her? Yes. And he's a hun- did this happen 100 yards from where your sister's body's found along with another woman? Correct. Cheryl McCollum, can somebody explain to me what's going on? I mean, he just happens to be 100 yards from where her body's found, and he's the last one seen with her? Right. So you have two dead bodies right there and a third woman attacked within yards within yards, Nancy, and when law enforcement catches up to him and they see the duct tape and the hammer and some other things in his car, he literally refers to it as a rape kit, doesn't he, Lisa? I, I think that, you know, I I think that that was found years later when he was on um, Par- uh, Par- uh, Wrightsville Beach. That's That even happened years later. So... Mm-hmm. He just denied. Are you talking about him having a rape kit? Correct. Okay, and uh, to you, Bob Buner, could you explain what is a rape kit? A rape kit is various things uh, such as uh, items to immobilize a, a, a victim. They would be things like condoms, uh, duct tape, um, even uh, weapons to uh, 
crack a skull or things of that nature. Do you know that Allison was stabbed between 27 and 40 times? I, I find it very difficult to believe, Dr. Tim Gallagher, that she was not raped and then murdered because she her jewelry was still on her, so she wasn't robbed. Um, I believe the husband... Um, who ends up calling, reporting her missing, is going to be ruled out. It's hard for me to believe, Dr. Gallagher, that there is not some type of evidence on her body. No DNA, no epithelial skin cells, no nothing. Well, it also determines how long she's been exposed to the environment before they found her. You know, a lot of that stuff could have uh, degraded. A lot of that stuff could no longer exist if her remains were skeletal remains then there would be no soft tissue for the cells to exist upon. Yeah. You know, so uh, it just depends on how decomposed the body was as to uh, the success in finding any of this uh, DNA material. Bob, you know, explain to me why this case isn't moving forward, especially with the similar transaction, uh, well, raping, Nancy, attempting to rape a hooker 100 yards from her body. Well, let me also say there's another amazing coincidence that's not been spoken about. The wife of Mr. Iannone reported him to a private detective as being a suspect in the disappearance and murder of Allison. So when you add it all up, uh, I can't understand why District Attorney David hasn't done one of two things, either convened an investigative grand jury or referred this matter to the Attorney General of North Carolina if he is reluctant to prosecute. You know, I want to explore something that you just said, that his own wife reported him as a suspect in Allison's murder. What do we know about that, Lisa Valentino? Oh, I've, I've spoken with Susan Iannone multiple times. Um, yes, th- th- this was a place that he and his wife used to shoot pool at. Um, the bartenders had his private cell no- number at the pub. And I guess one day she went in and she heard all these regulars talking about how her husband was responsible for Allison going missing. And our private investigator also had a radio show at the time, still does, called Blue Line Radio. And she called into, she, she, call, she called him, not his radio show, she called him and said, what is this that I hear that you are all accusing my husband Tim having to do something with Allison Foy going missing. And she had also emailed me and reached out and said, I'm, I'm a regular at the bar. Please know that I'm praying that they find your sister. So the private investigator t- took it from there, and that's how he came on the radar, was from his wife. Ben Shotman joining us, WHQR. Where does the case stand now? It is, for all intents and purposes, a cold case. Um, we've heard from multiple people at the Wilmington Police Department. They believe Timothy Ione is responsible for Angela Rothen and Allison Jackson Foy. And the way the Wilmington Police Department works with the district attorney's office, they they could legally make an arrest, but the DA has basically squashed that. That's our understanding. So unless, um, you know, your other guess is totally right. Unless Ben David either does convene a grand jury or hands it off to the state, it's not going to go anywhere, which is obviously heartbreaking for the for Lisa and her family. We wait and pray for justice to unfold in the murder of young mom, Allison Jackson Foy. 
If you have information, please call 302-576-3990. Repeat, 302-576-3990. It's never too late for justice to take place. There is no statute of limitations on murder. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. Thank you.